Hey everybody, welcome to the Karma Yoga Podcast. I'm Wes Anek, and for this introduction, I'm just going to briefly explain what I plan to do here. This is a scripted podcast in which I'll talk about a variety of topics including spirituality, consciousness, the environment, and anything I find interesting or worth talking about. I apologize in advance that I'm not particularly great at reading scripts quite yet, but my plan is obviously to improve over time. This podcast gives me an outlet to cover topics that I and hopefully you will be interested in, and I hope you can forgive any potential mistakes as I try to get it off the ground. Along with the scripted segments, I do plan to have guests for some of these podcasts. Before I bring anyone on though, I do need to find my footing and figure out what I'm doing with this project. I also need to see if it's something that will last before I rush to have anyone on, but if it does last, then there will eventually be guests. I haven't decided how often I'll be doing these, but I am aiming for weekly or near-weekly shows. If I stick with it, then that's the direction it will probably go in. Since Karma Yoga is the basis of this podcast and the basis of the Karma Yoga Daily blog that I run, I suppose I should explain it for those of you who don't yet know what it is. So the basic idea behind Karma Yoga is that it's a life spent helping people and doing good in the world in whatever ways you can. I've spent the past few years writing about spirituality and various belief systems, and I find Karma Yoga to be one of the simplest and most helpful philosophies for people who are into spirituality but need some kind of balance. There's nothing really crazy or new agey about Karma Yoga, as it's really just a life spent helping people. Personally, I think that making content, be it in the form of articles, podcasts, videos, or anything similar, can, if nothing else, be a great way to, you know, just brighten some people's day. This, among other reasons, is why I personally am drawn to the idea of karma yoga. Well, that's all I've got for this intro. I hope you enjoy the podcast. The first thing I want to talk about for the very first episode of this podcast is the topic of cannabis and hemp. I'm not shy about advocating cannabis, but I'd discourage jumping into the world of weed if you don't have a good head on your shoulders to begin with. I agree with those who say that the slackers of the world will be slackers whether or not they smoke pot, but cannabis can enhance the problems of laziness and lack of motivation if those problems already exist in someone who uses it. I'll admit to being biased in favor of cannabis, but I don't think we should focus only on its benefits. To me, that's the same as looking only at its potential harms or exaggerating its harms to scare people away from it. If you look at the plant in a more balanced way, you'll see that it has mostly positive uses but a few small yet notable downsides. The disadvantages to its use, such as the potential for psychological dependence, are by no means a reason to keep it illegal. But let's not pretend those downsides don't exist. Downsides or not, cannabis is a fascinating plant. I'll probably cover its benefits, its legalization, and other things frequently on this podcast. It's great to see the world slowly change its approach toward marijuana, as people now accept and advocate it a lot more than they used to. Americans are realizing that our marijuana laws are rooted in hysteria, racism, and blatant dishonesty from the government and the media outlets that have fought legalization for decades. Change is happening, and it's allowing us to take a clear and objective look at a plant with an array of uses, one of which just happens to be that it changes the consciousness of its users. Let's look at some interesting facts about cannabis and hemp as we consider how close we are to legalizing them worldwide. Whether you're for or against the cannabis plant, some of these facts may surprise you. First, only 9% of people who try cannabis become dependent on it, whereas 15% of those who try cocaine and 24% who try heroin become hooked. You might think that rate has risen in states where the drug is legal, particularly among teens, but states with legal marijuana have the same rates of teen usage or less as states where it's illegal. According to InterestingFacts.com, the UN has stated that marijuana is the most widely used drug in the world. They report that more than 100 million adults around the world use the drug. Nearly half of the U.S. population has tried it, 
47% to be exact, and more than 10% of the population has tried it in the last year. You cannot overdose on marijuana, as you'd have to smoke approximately 800 joints in one session. Throughout history, marijuana has caused zero deaths. Fact Retriever reports that in the past three years, marijuana has become the fastest growing industry in the U.S. If all 50 states were to legalize, the legal marijuana industry would grow bigger than the organic food industry. Prior to 1906, cannabis was a common component in most American medicines. It was so common that the medicine's labels didn't have to list it. Focusing on hemp, let me state the obvious. Marijuana and hemp are different, with the latter having zero psychoactive effects. That means it won't get you high. According to biochemist John Page, marijuana and industrial hemp are of the same species, but hemp has no THCA, which is the precursor to THC, the well-known psychoactive chemical in marijuana. Marijuana does contain THCA, but is absent of CBDA, a component hemp is known for. Hemp is good for your health, but in any article, video, or discussion about the plant, it bears repeating that it is non-intoxicating. Don't be afraid of that hemp milk or those hemp seeds you see at the store. Not only will they not get you high, they'll provide your body with nutrients it needs. Hemp can produce rope, paper, clothes, food, plastics, textiles, insulation, biofuel, and a lot more. It's a little infuriating that such a beneficial plant is illegal for such ridiculous reasons. You can consume hemp in various ways. You can eat it raw, you can eat its seeds raw or ground them into a meal, you can dry out its seeds for powder, you can make it into a liquid and use it for baking, making milk or juice, and much more. Hemp is mostly illegal in the U.S., but since the year 2000, the government has allowed its importation. Hemp can insulate houses. Specifically, when it's processed with lime, it creates a material similar to concrete that acts as an insulant. The product, known as hempcrete, can take the place of wood to make for a resistant home that lasts a long time. Despite the benefits of hempcrete, it's not useful for larger construction jobs like city buildings. Hemp seeds contain 5% carbs, 49% fat, and 31% protein. Amino acids, which are present in hemp, help restore skin tissue, which is essential for the body's growth and development. The composition of these essential compounds in hemp puts it in the same category as meat, eggs, soy, and milk. Hemp also contains B vitamins, manganese, phosphorus, magnesium, zinc, iron, and dietary fiber. Around the world, China is the country that manufactures the most industrial hemp. Currently, states in Australia are licensing farmers to grow hemp, and Canada has allowed it for the past 20 years. In Europe, France manufactures the most hemp. Like some Australian states, the entire UK has started licensing farmers to grow the non-psychoactive crop. Here in the United States, the DEA enforces a ban on hemp growing because of its relation to marijuana. Some states now have laws that let farmers grow hemp, and in 2014, Congress made a law that let farmers in a few states harvest it. Many U.S. politicians grew hemp and used cannabis prior to its criminalization. These include some of the Founding Fathers. Presidents George Washington and Thomas Jefferson famously grew hemp, and at one time, a law existed requiring farmers to grow it. Staying on the topic of the Founding Fathers, one of the first American paper mills was owned by Benjamin Franklin. He used it to process hemp. The industrial plant was even reportedly the cause of the War of 1812, as Napoleon was focused on eliminating Moscow's hemp transport to England. The first transaction to ever take place on the internet was reportedly the sale of a bag of marijuana. This is unsurprising if true, but I can only imagine how widespread online sales will be when it becomes legal across the U.S. and around the world.
Traces of marijuana and other substances have been found in the air at the Pantheon and the Colosseum, as well as seven Italian cities including Rome, Florence, and Naples. Other substances discovered include cocaine, nicotine, and caffeine. Indoor grow operations can be bad for the environment. It's reported that every pound of marijuana grown indoors releases around 4,600 pounds of CO2 into the atmosphere and absorbs an amount of electricity matching that of 29 refrigerators. Going back to hemp, throughout history, hemp was the main source of 90% of the sails and rope on ships. We can trace the word canvas back to the Middle English word canivas and the Latin word cannabis. According to Jack Frazier, cited by Listverse, prior to the 1880s, every textbook used in schools was manufactured from hemp or flax paper. In the early days of the United States history, hemp was the first crop many states grew. In 1850, the state of Kentucky had its best year for hemp. They produced 40,000 tons of it. Before it was outlawed, it was the country's biggest cash crop. Henry Ford designed his first Model T to run on gas made from hemp. Not only that, the car itself was built out of hemp. The car's plastic panels were hemp-based, with an impact strength 10 times stronger than steel, according to Listverse. William Shakespeare used cannabis. He reportedly mentioned it in his writings, and when some of his pipes were unearthed from under one of his homes and studied, the researchers found small amounts of cannabis residue. It'd be interesting to know the effect the drug had on such a legendary creator, as for some people, it's known to help stimulate creativity. For others, it's a hindrance that forces them to wait until their mind is clear before they can find inspiration or formulate thoughts. Now, let's look at why marijuana is illegal in the United States. Weed MD summarizes what happened, telling us that during the Mexican Revolution in the 1910s and 20s, the United States was flooded with Mexican immigrants, many of whom brought with them a culture of recreational marijuana use. Americans quickly began to link the immigrants they feared to the cannabis they smoked, leading people like Harry Anslinger, the Federal Bureau of Narcotics Commissioner, to capitalize on the fear and put a stop to recreational marijuana. In 1938, Anslinger managed to pass the Marijuana Tax Act. Under this law, you could import marijuana, but it's such a heavy tax that it was out of most people's price range. Cannabis was effectively illegal from that point on, with Nixon later passing harsher laws during his war on drugs. With all of the things cannabis and hemp can do for us, it's insane that they've been illegal for so long. In a society that is advanced in so many other ways, we still keep users and cultivators of one of the world's most beneficial plants behind bars. It goes to show the power money and greed can have over the industrialists and purported innovators of the world. No matter what people say about cannabis, its legalization is impending and inevitable. We can speed it along by continuing to argue for the plant and put its benefits out there for everyone to see. As the activists who are fighting for it have shown us, we can make legalization happen sooner rather than later. We're not out of the woods yet, but the end of marijuana prohibition is in our sights. Now let's talk about Buddhism a captivating religion predicated on detachment, renunciation, inner peace, and the search for enlightenment. I published an article a couple months ago on the Karma Yoga Daily blog about the Buddha's life story, and I'd like to share that story again here for anyone who may have missed it. Buddhist teachers encourage their students to look within and become aware of what sustains the ego that keeps them focused on the outer world. Through meditation and other practices that involve detachment, you can shine a light on your inner world and the fact that you are the driving force of your life. You'll then see that with a little discipline and understanding, you can create peace in yourself and by extension in the world around you. Buddhism encourages us to be content with life and open to the idea that we are all one. This is no different from many other religions, which share a common central message of peace, love, empathy, and unity. But in terms of its reputation and whether its followers live up to those principles rather than just preaching them, Buddhism is more peaceful and less hypocritical. 
One great thing about this religion is that it doesn't demand compliance. You don't have to give your life over to it to experience its benefits. A little openness to some of its ideas can go a long way, but you don't have to go any further than that. You can try a Buddhist practice like you would try on a new shirt. You might like the shirt's color, you might think it's a good fit for you, but you might still put it down and decide not to buy it. Buddhists don't care if you buy their beliefs. At least, the genuine ones don't. Their only desire is to help you find peace in a hectic world, and peace is not concerned with whether you believe in it. Although some Buddhist practices require discipline, which is arguably good for you, its approach to non-believers is much more laid back compared to other religions. As we'll learn, this is one reason religious people and atheists alike find it appealing. I know very little about Buddhism's history or how it spread from India to the rest of the world. When I realized this, it led me down a rabbit hole of research into what turns out to be a rich history. It made sense to compile some of the information into an article and now a podcast segment. With that said, here is a brief exploration of the Buddha's life with some myths sprinkled in for fun. Let's start with some general information on Buddhism and the Awakened One who started it. The Asia Society writes that the many forms of Buddhism are each an attempt at capturing the meaning behind the Buddhist teachings. Quote, Buddhism, founded in the late 6th century BCE by Siddhartha Gautama, also known as the Buddha, is an important religion in most of the countries of Asia. Buddhism has assumed many different forms, but in each case there has been an attempt to draw from the life experiences of the Buddha, his teachings, and the spirit or essence of his teachings, called Dhamma or Dharma, as models for the religious life. However, not until the writing of the Buddha Charita, or Life of the Buddha, in the 1st or 2nd century CE do we have a comprehensive account of his life." End quote. Pathios writes that we can boil down Buddhist teachings to the Four Noble Truths which formed the basis of the Buddha's first sermon after his enlightenment. The Eightfold Path accompanies the Four Noble Truths and is like an instruction manual for life. According to Pathios, Buddhism has changed a lot since it was first conceived. We can divide it into three main branches that are dedicated to different ideas and traditions. These are, quote, the Theravada, or Doctrine of the Elders, the Mahayana, or Great Vehicle, and the Vajrayana, or Diamond Vehicle, often simply called Tibetan Buddhism, end quote. Pathios writes that Buddhism has spread everywhere. Rather than making it their religion, some Westerners incorporate it into their belief system or lack thereof, whether it's Christianity, Judaism, or atheism. You might be wondering how this belief system came into being. According to Religion Facts, it all started with the Buddha himself, quote, Buddhist history begins with the life and teachings of an Indian prince named Siddhartha Gautama who lived around 500 BCE. According to Buddhist tradition, the sheltered young prince was shocked by the suffering he saw outside of his palace walls, so he left his life of luxury to seek answers. Eventually he succeeded, becoming the Buddha, the Enlightened One. He spent the remaining 45 years of his life teaching the Dharma, or the path to liberation from suffering, and establishing the Sangha, a community of monks." End quote. Siddhartha Gautama led an interesting life. The Asia Society writes that he was born to a king and queen around 563 BCE in a highly spiritual and intellectual era. Legend states that before he was born, a soothsayer predicted he would live a life of renunciation. According to the Asia Society, Gautama's father, a king who didn't want the prince to live in such a way, surrounded him with treasures in hopes that they would entice him. Gautama's fate was sealed, however, when he took a series of chariot rides outside of his kingdom walls as a young man. Each ride revealed things, most of which were heartbreaking, that led him to renounce his material life. The Asia Society writes that during the chariot rides, Gautama witnessed, quote, the more severe forms of human suffering, old age, illness, and death, as well as an ascetic renouncer, end quote. This made him realize that his life as royalty was an illusion and a distraction from the suffering he was now forced to confront. 
He then left his family and embarked on a new life of intense spiritual development, studying under numerous teachers and nearly starving himself in the forest. He eventually saw that a life of total renunciation also creates suffering. This prompted him to finally eat before sitting under a tree and meditating on his revelation. According to the Asia Society, the amount of time he spent under the tree is disputed. Some say he sat there all night, whereas others say he was there for months. However long it took him to get back up, when he did, he emerged enlightened. He had become aware of the causes of suffering and thus freed himself from it. He soon began to teach his new philosophy. Bammer Gascoigne at History World writes that his religion was well known by the time Gautama died. Quote, by the time of his death, at about the age of 80, the Buddha's followers are established as communities of monks in northern India. Wandering through villages and towns with their begging bowls, eager to describe the path to the truth, they are familiar figures, end quote. Now that we've learned about Siddhartha Gautama's life, let's look at the mythology behind his birth and the purpose of his presence here. Mythology is obviously not meant to be taken literally, but like a good fiction book, it's fun to read and think about. Personally, I like to extract the little bits of truth and wisdom you can find if you look hard enough. Nitin Kumar writes that the Buddha was driven to incarnate on earth after witnessing humanity's spiritual decline. Quote, Before the Buddha was born into this world, he was a bodhisattva in the Tushita heaven, also known as the home of the contented gods. From here, he witnessed the Dark Ages engulfing the human realm, leading to its spiritual impoverishment. Moved to compassion like a true bodhisattva, he vowed to manifest himself in the sentient world and relieve people from their sufferings, end quote. The Buddha's act of compassion, Nitin writes, represents the bodhisattva ideal of putting aside enlightenment to go live in the trenches, aka earth, to help those who struggle here. Quote, Indeed, in strictly canonical terms, a bodhisattva is defined as an individual who discovers the source of the ultimate truth, better known as nirvana, but postpones his own enlightenment until he has guided all his fellow beings to this same source of fulfillment. Thus, Buddha, looking down upon the sentient beings suffering in the throes of ignorance, felt a pang of compassion, and in accordance with his bodhisattva status, decided to descend to the earth and spread the word of dharma. Visually, Buddha is depicted making this vow surrounded by other sacred beings, holding aloft a lotus flower in his right hand, symbolizing the purity of his intention, end quote. It would take a superhuman level of compassion to leave the bliss of an exalted higher consciousness and go help other life forms who are struggling. It's also unimaginable to set up a series of events in your life in which you see heart-wrenching things that awaken you and make you start anew when you could instead stay in heaven. It's a significant sacrifice to say the least. The story of Siddhartha Gautama makes his belief system even more interesting. Without knowing its story or the myths behind it, I've always found Buddhism to be one of the more compelling religions. Since it provides wisdom without the need for devotion, it's arguably one of the most beneficial as well. I'm one of many people who gravitate toward Buddhism without considering myself a Buddhist because you find a great deal of wisdom in its philosophy that you can apply to the struggle for a better life and a better world. If you incorporate Buddhist practices into your life, you may end up feeling less like you're struggling every day and more like you're living according to plan in a conscious universe, the intelligence of which you can draw from in each moment. The choice is yours to accept Buddhist teachings or not, but we can't deny that its history is worth knowing. Well, that's it for this episode. Be sure to check out KarmaYogaDaily.com for daily articles related to the topics discussed here. Also, check out Karma Yoga Daily and Aware Culture on Facebook, and follow me on Twitter at Wes underscore Anak. Much love and thanks for listening.